See, in order for the message of Christ to go out, to reach those who are lost, and then disciple people once they have become a follower of Christ, we need pastors who know the Word of God, who are biblically trained. And we know that there are many different languages spoken across the continent of Africa. So it's, for a lot of us, school is hard enough on its own. It's even harder if you try to do it in a language that's not your heart language. So what Africa's hope is doing is building Bible colleges and creating printed materials so that the next generation of pastors in Africa can learn the word of God to teach and preach and reach with the word of God in their language. We're training Africans to reach Africans because if we only were to send Americans to reach Africans, we would cap out very quickly. We can do so much more if we train up people who live in the countries where they are to reach their own people. And that is at the heart of what Africa's hope is doing. So please watch this video that will help to capture the heart of what Africa's hope is doing. Randy and Becky, thank you so much for traveling to the Pacific Northwest just to be with us at People's Church this weekend. Please get on your feet and give your very best welcome to Randy Tarr, Executive Director of People's of Africa's Hope. What a privilege to be here this morning. Thank you for this warm welcome. Wow, exciting things, Pastor Tom. Thank you and Jennifer for this invitation to be a part of your missions week. I'm excited because you guys are jazzed about missions. Wow, 481,000, praise the Lord. That is awesome stuff. Now, Becky and I have been relying on people like you for the last 36 years to do what God has called us to do in Africa. Churches just like your church have stood with us. In fact, I looked on one of our old statements and I, I see people who in 37 years, Pastor Tom, have never missed a month of giving to support us. That is incredible. And I wanna say thank you to you for the over 180 missionary units that you support and keep doing what God has called them to do on the mission field. That is incredible, thank you, thank you. If you 
have filled out a faith promise card, thank you for daring to believe that God can use you to touch the nations. Hallelujah. Becky and I, like I was saying, have been privileged to serve in Africa for over 30 years. Uh, in November, Becky and I will have been married for 33 years. Amen. The Lord has blessed me with a wonderful wife. And I'm not quite sure why she married me at times, but there's a little African proverb that puts it into perspective. It simply says this, which means that even an ugly man is better than a dead one. And uh, so, you know, God's good. And the Lord has blessed us with three sons. Our oldest son, Luke, was born in Africa. So we have three sons, Luke, Nathan, and Micah. They all live in Southern California. Would you pray that the Lord would bring them good wives? Our ministry has always involved the training of African leaders. And since May of this year, we've had the privilege to lead Africa's Hope. Africa's Hope desires to resource the emerging generation of African leaders to fulfill the Great Commission on the African continent. We have a great team of partners in Africa, AGWM missionaries, some of them that you support, African national churches that we partner with, as well as a team back here in the U.S. producing resources so that we can enhance the reach of the African church until there is a vibrant church within walking distance of every African. We believe that the hope of Africa is spirit-empowered, biblically-trained leaders. Pastor Tom said it so well, that without trained leaders, we can't expect the church to continue to expand and continue to grow. But with spirit-empowered, biblically-trained leaders, I believe Africa will become the most Christian continent the world has ever seen. Amen. I love this map of Assemblies of God World Missions from 1939. If you were to zoom in on the map, you would see some great pioneers who went and blazed the trail for the revival that we're having in Africa today. One of those couples came right here from Oregon, the Chastagner family, who went to Upper Volta in 1928 and then laid a firm foundation. And today, there are over 5,000 Assemblies of God churches in the country of Burkina Faso. Somebody say hallelujah. If you look at the figures from this 1939 chart, you see this. There were 95 missionaries, 127 native workers, 33 mission stations, 92 outstations, and 13,000 believers. That was after 25 years after the Assemblies of God had been formed in the USA. If you notice closely that the number of missionaries is almost equal to the number of African workers. But those missionaries dared to believe that African workers, empowered by the Spirit of God, trained in the Word of God, could literally turn a dark continent to light. Fast forward to 1989, 50 years later. The Assemblies of God churches in Africa had grown from 92 outstations to almost 13,000 churches up from 127 workers to 11,000 trained pastors and over 2 million adherents. Hallelujah, for what God did in that 50-year span. It was at this moment that Africa's hope was birthed. A group of national leaders and American missionaries got together and they dreamed 
We've reached two million, hallelujah. But what will God have us do in the decades to come? And they said, we believe God wants us to grow from two million to 15 million believers. The only way to make that happen was to train more African nationals to go and take the gospel to their own people. Today, 32 years later, we see that there are over 83,000 Assemblies of God churches in Africa, over 80,000 trained pastors, and over 23 million believers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God for vision that was birthed in the heart of men and women who serve him faithfully. This has happened because training has been at the forefront of what Assemblies of God missions has been doing in Africa. Bible schools and training programs are critical to the ongoing work in Africa. We believe that God desires to have a vibrant church within walking distance of every African. Now I imagine if we were to walk through Salem, at least in certain parts of Salem, there would be a lot of churches. That's wonderful. Hallelujah. May all of Salem find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I know that's your heart, Pastor Tom. But I could take you to some places in Africa where we could get in a Speed the Light vehicle. Thank you for those of you who give to Speed the Light. I want to see the leader hosing guy later. And, uh, you know, and we could drive for two or three hours and you would not see a church. You might see a mosque, but you wouldn't see a church. The gospel has not yet arrived there. There are 867 unreached people groups in Africa. People who are still waiting to hear the name of Jesus and who he really is for the first time. But you and I have a chance to make a difference in what the spiritual atmosphere in Africa looks like by investing into the harvest in Africa. For just a few moments this morning, I want to talk to you about the power of arriving on time. The power of arriving on time. And I want us to look at a little story found in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading with verse number 26. You remember what happened in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen gets stoned to death. Standing there was Saul, who later became Paul, and he approved of the killing of Stephen. And what did that do? That brought persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they started accomplishing what they had been called upon to do. They began to spread out, and everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. And Philip went down to Samaria. Now, remember, those Samaritans, it's hard to believe Samaritans can be saved. But yes, even Samaritans can be saved. Philip went down to Samaria. There was revival happening. People were getting Saved, people were getting healed. Those who had been demon-possessed were being delivered. Hallelujah for the revival happening in Samaria. And in the middle of that revival, look what God does. Verse number 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Skip down to verse number 35. There it says, Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I'm perplexed by the story. 
Why would God take Philip out of a powerful revival in Samaria and ask him to walk down a desert road? And I'm convinced it's because of this. God has a heart for every woman, every man, every child on the planet. And he had a heart for that Ethiopian eunuch. He saw that he was a man hungry for God, but didn't know the truth about Jesus Christ. And so God took Philip, his agent, but he needed Philip's obedience to accomplish the task. You'll remember at the end of this story, when Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, the spirit catches Philip up and drops him someplace else. That would be really cool to have that happen. Never had that happen, Pastor Tom. You had that happen? No, but it would be really cool. But why didn't God do that in the first place with Philip? I mean, Philip could have been out there preaching in Samaria and all of a sudden, zap, God gets him and drops him right next to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch's like, whoa, where did you come from? Tell me something good. No, that's not what God did. Because God needed Philip's obedience to accomplish his plan. So when the angel of the Lord said to Philip, walk out on that desert road, Philip could have said no. And if he had said no, the Ethiopian eunuch would have never come to faith. But hallelujah, Philip obeyed the voice of the Lord through the angel. He walks out on that desert road and he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He's reading about the suffering servant. And he says to Philip, who is this guy talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? And Philip, verse number 35, began with that very scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The Ethiopian was hungry to hear the good news. Philip brought him the good news. They saw a pond of water. They go down into the water. The Ethiopian eunuch gets dunked, and when he comes out of the water, Philip is gone. But hallelujah, he got the message of Jesus Christ. He had been baptized, and then he went home, and he began to proclaim the truth about who Jesus is. Hallelujah. Philip arrived just in time for the Ethiopian eunuch to come to faith. Now, I'm not sure that we can draw a straight line between the revival happening in Ethiopia today and Philip's obedience and the Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith. But I do know that from early on in Christian history, there has been a church of Jesus Christ in Ethiopia. That church resisted the forces of Islam allowing space for Christianity in the Horn of Africa. If you look at the other countries around it, Somalia, Sudan, other places, they are captivated by Islam, but Ethiopia still has been a bastion of Christianity. The Coptic church rose out of that, and though it became stagnant in a lot of ways and stuck in a liturgy in a language called Geze, akin to the Catholic church getting stuck in the Latin liturgy for so long, Pretty soon, the Pentecostals began to emerge, and they began to preach in local language. They began to preach in the heart language of the people, in Afan Oromo, in Amharic, and people began to turn to Christ in a new way. In 1960, only 1% of the population in Ethiopia was Pentecostal. And then in 1974, 
the Marxist regime came into Ethiopia between 1974 and 1987, and there was great persecution against those few Pentecostal churches. Guess what? It broke out in revival, because when persecution happens to the church, it begins to grow. It began to grow, and I'm happy to tell you this morning that today there are several million Pentecostals in the country of Ethiopia. Somebody say praise the Lord. The Assemblies of God churches are a part of that Pentecostal movement. Spirit-empowered, biblically-trained leaders are the hope of Africa. These books, called the Discovery Series, have often been printed in Belarus and then sent to Africa to train leaders and empower the church. Africa's Hope is working with the Assemblies of God of Ethiopia to train workers to continue to bring in the harvest. Right now, the Discovery Series is being translated into Amharic and into Afan Oromo, the two major languages of Ethiopia. The Ethiopian Assemblies of God is eager to begin translating into Tigrinya as well. And if you noticed on the slide, there was a fourth language, Somali, because we're daring to believe that God is going to use Ethiopians to reach Somalis like never before. Somalia is a closed country by and large to American missionaries. But I believe God's going to raise up the Ethiopian church to reach into Somalia, and that place that has been so long in darkness will come to light in the name of Jesus Christ, may it be so. There are several extension Bible schools happening all across Ethiopia. There's revival in the air. This is the moment for exponential growth in the Assemblies of God of Ethiopia and the Pentecostal Church of Ethiopia. Thank you for partnering with missionaries who are working in Ethiopia and that part of Africa, helping bring in the harvest until Jesus comes. Hallelujah. You know, there's power in training just one. It's said that you can count the seeds in an apple but you can't count the apples in a seed. The same could be said about training an African worker. You can say that's student one or student two, but you never know the potential that training that worker will produce in the kingdom. In 1980, 1995, Becky and I were serving in the country of Senegal, and we were leading the Senegal Bible Institute training Senegalese workers, but at the same time, we were planting a church in the city of Yumbo, a city of 100,000 people with no church, not even a Catholic church in Yumbo. There was a mosque on every corner, but God was calling us to plant the church there. And we had the privilege of working with a great student by the name of Nicodem Bies, who loved Jesus, who we prayed together and dreamed for good things for the city of Yumbo. One day he was evangelizing in Yumbo, and he arrived just in time to encounter a woman by the name of Mrs. Coley. Mrs. Coley was the third wife to a Muslim man. In fact, she didn't know that her husband had two other wives until she had been married to him for about six months. It was in great disillusionment and without hope that she was living. Her life was difficult, but that day on the street of Yumbo, because a trained student arrived, she heard the gospel for the first time. She gave her life to Jesus. I remember the day we baptized her at the Senegal Bible Institute. She came out of the water, her hands in the air. She was yelling and screaming and rejoicing what God had done in her life. She raised her children to be followers of Jesus, and her life has touched hundreds of Senegalese people 
with the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of training just one student. How did that happen? That happened because churches like your church sent a missionary to Africa who trained a national African who then went out and planted a church. Hallelujah. May it happen again and again, changing the direction of a woman's life, changing the direction of her family's life. Spirit-empowered, biblically trained leaders are really the hope of Africa. We see explosive growth in much of Africa today. There's need for more facilities to receive students, to train students, and send them out. Africa's a huge continent. Look, look at all the places that can fit into Africa. Even Texas can fit in, but the, the U.S. can fit in, and uh, Western Europe can go in, India, China, other parts of Asia can all fit in the African continent. That's how big Africa is. Yet there are many unreached places in Africa today. I had the privilege of being born in Africa, spending my growing up years there. My parents were missionaries in Burkina Faso and in Togo. Later, when my family moved to Togo in 1970, there was only one Assemblies of God church in the capital city of Lome. It was in the mid-1980s that revival hit Togo. Today, there are over 150 Assemblies of God churches in the city of Lome. Well over 40,000 believers met in those churches this morning, rejoicing and singing and calling upon the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Across Togo, there are over 2,500 Assemblies of God churches, over 1,260 pastors, and over 400,000 adherents in those churches. Hallelujah. 2006 was a critical year for the Togo Assemblies of God Church. Somebody came and gave them a gift of $100,000 and said, you can build any building you want to build with this money. The general superintendent, my good friend, Pastor Jakute Mitre, was leading the church. There were about 1,000 local churches in 2006, and they were leading it out of just this small building. It was hard to administer the church out of this really small building. Nobody would have complained or challenged them if they had decided to build a new national church headquarters. But instead, Pastor Mitre, a man of vision, said, no, we're going to build a new Bible school in the north of Togo where the majority of the Muslims of our country live because if we plant a Bible school there, we believe that many Muslims will find faith in Christ. I remember the first time I visited the property. All it was was a flat piece of land with a vision. We sent the American mission, sent a couple tabernacles up. I remember watching local believers carrying pans of gravel on their head to mix cement to lay the foundation because those believers knew that if a Bible school arrived and people were trained, their communities would be changed and people would find Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The schools continued to develop over the years. Today, there are over 200 graduates from that school. Let me have you hear the story of a recent graduate from that school and how God dealt with his heart about the unreached of his country. His name is Komlavi.
My name is Komlavi and Togo is my home. It is a small country but with many different ethnic groups. I am from the Ewe tribe, the largest ethnic group in Togo, and I grew up near the city of Lome. There are many assemblies of God churches here in the south. I had the joy of finding Christ in one of those churches during my childhood. It was within walking distance of my home. When God called me into ministry, I was sure I would go to Bible school near Lume and plant another church among the Ivy, my people. But when the Bible school committee told me I was to go to the Bible school in the north of Togo at Sakbiebu, I wasn't sure I wanted to go. Sakbiebu is far from Lume. But I trust my leaders and decided to make the long journey to Sagbiebu to train for gospel ministry. At first, life was hard at Sagbiebu. It is much hotter in the north of Togo than in the south, and the dorms were so crowded. During the week, we were taught the Bible in class by wonderful pastors and teachers. And on the weekends, we would ride bicycles out to surrounding villages to evangelize. I began to meet people I had never met before. Fulani men and women, Hausa traders in the local markets, and many Kotokuli people. All of them were followers of the Islamic faith. The Lord began to burden me to reach these people who lived in my own country but had never heard the gospel. Where I grew up in southern Togo, we have seen great revival since 1985. But there are still many unreached villages and whole ethnic groups in the north of Togo. If I had stayed in the south, I may never have seen the urgent need to plant the church in northern Togo. I am so glad our national leaders had the vision to start this school in 2008. Today, I am one of over 200 students that have graduated from the Sagbebu Bible School. Islam is strong in this part of Togo. But because of the Bible school in Saibibu, today there are new churches being planted among the Kotokuli, the Fulani, and other tribes. The gospel is beginning to break through. There are many more students like me who want to come to Bible school, but there simply is not enough space to receive them. We need dorms to house these men and women who are called to prepare for ministry. I am praying that one day we will have enough spirit-empowered, biblically-trained workers to establish a church within walking distance of every person who lives in Togo. Hallelujah for what God is doing in northern Togo. Africa's hope is helping build three new dorms on the Sagbiebu Bible School campus because we believe that as more workers are trained, more villages will hear the good news for the first time and people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. In 2019, Becky and I had the privilege of attending the funeral of Khalifa Sabu. Khalifa was from the Fulani tribe a very resistant tribe to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He grew up as a Muslim. 
who is well educated. In fact, in the early 1930s, he was working for the French colonial government. He was serious about his practice of Islam. He prayed five times a day. He fasted during the month of Ramadan from sunup until sundown. He gave money to the poor. His local imam wanted him to go get additional Quranic studies. He wanted to send him to Egypt. Six months before he was to head to Egypt, a young man by the name of Daniel Bila Pasago, an Assemblies of God evangelist, walked into his village and preached the message of Jesus Christ to him for the first time. That day, Khalifa gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Daniel arrived just in time to change the course of Khalifa's life. If Khalifa had gone to Bible, if Khalifa had gone to Islamic Quranic school in Egypt, very likely he would have come back and become an Islamic Imam leading a local mosque, and his family would have never known Jesus Christ. But because Pastor Daniel, who had been touched by a missionary by the name of Murray Brown in Burkina Faso, then came and brought the message of hope to Khalifa Sabu in his village, Khalifa direction changed. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. He began to lead his family members to Christ. Eventually, he went to Bible school, became an Assemblies of God pastor, and then the general superintendent of the country of Benin. That funeral, many leaders stood and talked about the influence that Khalifa Sabu had on their lives. Over a hundred family members were present, almost all of them followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Daniel arrived just in time. In May of 2019, I found myself sitting on a platform in the city of Kaya in Burkina Faso, about an hour and a half north of the capital city, Ouagadougou. We had been transported up that day by, actually by military escort, a jeep in front, a jeep in back with heavy artillery and AK-47s in the hand of every soldier because there were a lot of terrorist attacks happening in Burkina Faso at the time. I sat on the platform and, and looked at a, about a 500 people out there, many of them who had had to flee for their lives in the weeks before I arrived. They had to flee for their lives because they were being attacked by terrorists. And yet, they raised their hands and they began to exalt the name of Jesus in the Maori language. They began to sing this song. Our God is powerful. Our God is powerful. Our God is powerful. Yes, it's true. And then they continued with, God is so good. Even in the midst of their trial, even in the midst of persecution, they were singing about God's goodness to them. And then came to the mic a woman by the name of Madeleine Zore. She came to tell the story of what had happened to her family. She and her husband, Pastor Ailey, were pastoring in a little place called Arabinda in northern Burkina Faso. 
Her husband, Pastor Ali, had been threatened on numerous occasions by the terrorists, the jihadists, telling him that if you stay, we're going to kill you. He said, no, God's called me here to preach Jesus Christ. I'm going to stay. On April 2nd, Pastor Ali called his family together and he said, the Lord has revealed to me that I'm not going to be long in this earth. He said, but whatever you do, no matter what happens to me, I want you to lean into Jesus because Jesus will take care of you even in the difficult moments. On April 4th, he stepped out of his house with one of his sons and began walking down the street. The jihadists came and grabbed him and took him a little bit further and they shot him and they killed him for his faith in Jesus Christ. His son ran back to the house and said, Mom, Mom, Dad's been killed by the jihadists. Madeline was overcome with sorrow. She, she ran into the bedroom and she threw herself on the bed and began to weep. That moment, one of her daughters walked in and said, Mom, remember what Dad's words to us were. He said, no matter what happens to me, lean into Jesus. Jesus will be with you. She said, Mom, get up. We need to lean into Jesus. And so Madeline got off the bed and began to gather her children around, and they began to pray, and they began to call on the name of Jesus. She said, it's been difficult, but Jesus has been with us every moment since my husband died for his faith. Friends, there are people in Africa today willing to pay with their life so that others could know about Jesus Christ. Thank you for what you're doing to invest in Africa. I see this great group of young people over here. Some of you, God is calling to go serve around the world. Don't miss the opportunity for the Spirit to let the Spirit stir your heart this morning. I don't think he's calling you to be a martyr, but he may be calling you to some suffering in order that other people can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Pastor Tom. God bless you this morning.